Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at ReachSummitPod. Joined today by... Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. Greg Steeman. And you can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. So we wanted to start out this week's episode with the Summit League's announcement that St. Thomas will play in the tournament starting next season. And all 10 teams will be eligible to compete. So basically what will happen is the 7th seed will play the 10, the 8 will play the 9, the winner of the 7-10 game will play the 2 seed, the winner of the 8-9 will play the 1 seed. Just, I guess, start out with your initial thoughts on adding St. Thomas four years before they're eligible for the the, uh, NCAA tournament and just the announcement in general. Well, I'll uh, I'll jump in. Uh, you know, a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, I, I suppose you know, trying to look at this objectively and look at both sides of the argument. I I think the benefit is it it it's nice to reward the top seeds more than they are right now, because right now, I mean, it, you do get rewarded by playing that like day early and then getting a day off essentially. Um, so that's something, but it's, it's not much, especially when you're playing on a neutral court. So I, I do think it'd be nice to find a way to reward those top seeds more than they are right now. Um, but on the downside, I mean, so if you ask me, and it, this is certainly nothing against St. Thomas personally, but I just don't see what the upside is here. I don't, I mean, we're inviting chaos. St. Thomas is officially a chaos, uh, agent of chaos because, so, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So if they win the conference tournament. Now it, it reverts back to the winner of the regular season, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So um, that's it, you know it basically invalidates the whole tournament. I mean, then it basically says that there's no reason for the tournament to occur. Um, so that that could be, you know, again the the easy answer is whoever St. Thomas beats, you know, beats St. Thomas, and there's nothing to worry about, you know. So you have no one to blame. I'm not saying this is a bad deal for any one team. But the, the biggest thing, the biggest point to me is it's never been done this way in the Summit League. I'm, I know yeah. for a fact NDSU had to sit out. Uh, and they didn't even play in the conference tournament until they were eligible. Um, but I'm, and I'm pretty sure the rest of the Dakota schools fared the same. Um, and so it's, it's pretty hard to explain to the rest of the Dakota schools why they had to sit out and St. Thomas doesn't. Um, I don't think that there's really anything financially to be gained by letting St. Thomas play. I mean, you know, maybe a couple more tickets, maybe a couple more viewers, but like, I'm pretty sure those ads aren't sold necessarily on a per viewer basis. I'm pretty sure they're just sold on a, a fixed price basis, but so yeah, I'm not really seeing the upside and I just see nothing but chaos coming from this and there's already precedent set to not do this. So I don't really know. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I could see that you guys could disagree though. I mean, what do you guys think? Well, Zach, I don't know if I disagree, um, but I, I do think I'm going to go back and kind of echo your initial point that you made. You, you want to give your your one and two seeds the most advantage possible. And I think by forcing um, whoever their opponent is when the one and two seeds play their first game, the fact that they had to play, play a game the night before, I think that adds to the advantage of, of finishing in the top two, in addition to the extra day of rest should they win that game. And so I think that has something to do with it. the second thing is 
um, you know, if you're St. Thomas, it gives you something to play for. And, and, and it allows those kids to experience postseason play. And I'm, I'm not saying that the Summit League is obligated to take care of one team. I just think St. Thomas happens to be that one team. And, and I do think there will be added, added ticket revenue. I mean, um, at, at the Summit League tournament, um, I would love to say that in this day and age that these decisions aren't financially based, but I believe they are. And I think it adds one more day where you have four additional games. Because it's not only the men, but the women. And um, I think it just adds to the atmosphere of this conference tournament and, and, and what it is as a mid-major tournament that is willing to run both the men's and women's teams together and uh, make it, I, I think, uh, probably one of the highest attended mid-major tournaments in the country. So I, I look at it as I think it's OK, you know, wh where you do run into the issue, because I had heard I had heard two different things that it goes to the, you know, the the regular season champ, or it goes to the, um, the person, you know, the team that finishes runner up should St. Thomas win the tournament. Uh, my only concern about giving it to the regular season champ is then are you giving away your NIT bid? Because that's the one thing that the regular season championship allows you is, is you, you're guaranteed at the very least an NIT bid. Uh, and so you don't want to hurt your team as far as postseason opportunities. You want to be able to get into the NCAA tournament. You want to be able to get in, into the NIT. And, and obviously, until this league becomes a two-bid league on the men's side, um, that's a pretty tenuous situation if, if St. Thomas would win the tournament. But let's be honest, you know, when you look at their recruiting, the talent they're bringing in, they're not going to be far away from being a, a t a, an upper division team in the Summit League. And just because of their location, their ability to recruit. So, I think you can make arguments both ways. My initial reaction was, I think it's good. It adds an extra day of Summit League tournament basketball play. And it also gives an added advantage to those two teams that found a way to battle their way to the, to the one and the two seed in the Summit League uh, by facing a team that played a game the night before. The, the one thing, like, I'll fully admit that there's probably a reason out there that we don't know or we aren't aware of. And they're doing this for that reason. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a pretty good chance that we don't know everything, like like as usual. <laughs> but um, and I'd I'd love to hear that because I'm just uh, just kind of thinking through the scenario of you know you're just weighing the pros and cons and it's just it's just not quite penciling out for me right now. Um, but I don't know. I I, uh, I I'm really curious to see. You know, is is it the conference looking at the situation like all right, five years is ridiculous. Like I I, I do think that is kind of the crux here. It, it should probably be two or three years, right? Like, I think everybody could agree on that because five years there, you know, you don't, you want to make sure the program that's joining the conference is in good shape and is healthy, right? You don't want to make it a situation where players leave because they're not going to be playing for a couple of years in the, in the postseason or whatnot. Like making the jump to division one is hard enough, let alone having to go through a five-year probationary period. So maybe this was the conference way of stepping in and saying, all right, here's an olive branch uh, because we want you guys to be healthy when you can play. Uh, we know it may cause a little chaos in the interim, but we want you to be healthy. Like that's part of the negotiation of them joining the conference or something like that. Like I could see that scenario happening, but um, I don't know. There's just a lot of different angles to this. And I thought it was a really interesting topic. Um, so if anybody has any other information out there, please reach out to us and, uh, help enlighten us. And, um, cause like I said, I'm sure there is probably more to the discussion than 
what we're what we know of but as we're trying to make sense of this here you know it could be it could be precarious especially because of St. Thomas and especially because we know they're going to be good you know it'd be one thing if it was you know some other team that you know just really other any other run of the mill division two team but this is like we know this is a very very special situation at St. Thomas in terms of who they're able to recruit and what their future is and so this is probably going to be a bigger deal than it was even for NDSU who qualified for the NCAA tournament in their first year of eligibility. So I don't know. I, I don't like it because the, the precedence has already been set to not do this, but you know, there could be something else out there. Well, and I'll be honest. I love it. I, I think they got it wrong when they made other teams wait five years and it, it numbers might've mattered. You know, I don't know if it was a 10 team, summit or an eight team summit when different teams were coming in. I didn't go back and look, but the, the precedent in college basketball is for the most part to let teams play in conference tournaments recently. Bellarmine just their first year last year. And then that's kind of where this got brought up because they were the second seed in the a sun or, or wherever they play. And so it, it's kind of moving that direction. I think it's kind of with the changes of college basketball this waiting around five years, the, the, I'm sure the difficulty in recruiting if you're waiting that long. Um, and like Greg said, it's just another day of basketball. We think of it as how many St. Thomas tickets will we sell, but we forget it's a whole nother day and a whole nother um, uh, batch of games. And the then you get to the part of who should be the representative if you get to the championship and St. Thomas wins it. If it's not the conference champion, then you've got St. Thomas playing against whomever. And what reason would the team they're playing against have to go all out? Like they're going either way. Because I guess the only other way you do it is to put the runner up in the tournament. And I guess I would argue doing it that way invalidates the tournament even more. Because if you get to the championship and it's St. Thomas and let's just say Western Illinois, and Western Illinois has to win to get in, well, there's still a, uh, a championship game to be played there f- for Western Illinois, at least, and for St. Thomas to play the spoiler. So, yeah, I I personally love it. I, I just think it's the way that college basketball is going now. And, in fact, as far as giving, and I've said this either last year or earlier this year, I let the one and two seed go to the semifinals and have them play. So have the other eight teams play to get to the semifinals have the one and two seed play at that point uh, just to give them an even greater advantage for getting those top two seeds. But uh, most conference tournaments don't do it that way. So I, you know, I, I understand that they probably wouldn't do it that way, but yeah, I I love it. I'd love anything to emphasize the regular season. It just seems it's too bad that winning the regular season, all it does is get you the top seed, which, I think you could argue isn't a huge advantage. You're playing on a neutral court. I mean, you you do get that extra day of rest in between your first game and your second game, but I mean, that's it for winning the regular. It's way harder to win the regular season than it is the conference tournament. Way harder, in my opinion. Um, So it'd be nice to kind of emphasize that. And I'd love to hear if anybody else knows the explanation for why teams have to sit out five years when they're making the transition. I'd love to hear it as well. I don't think there's a whole lot of risk of teams you know, let, let, let's say it was two or three years that I think is probably makes more sense. Um, I don't think you're going to risk anybody popping up for a year or two, then popping back down. Like right. that's not, 
what it, what it takes to get to the division one level. I mean, I, I could understand that maybe the, the, the thought is that most teams that do this don't have the capabilities and need that long to actually ramp up. But what's the harm in making them eligible sooner than, I mean, it's okay. So then they lose what, you know, that's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal to potentially harm a school unnecessarily because they can't play. And why would somebody want to play? I mean, even, even getting to play in the conference tournament without, with knowing that you can't make it to the NCAA tournament, what, what's the point that like, I, I could see, yeah, I mean, as a competitor, you want to play, but I mean, what, I don't, I, it's, 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 it's just an odd situation. It's just creating an odd situation uh, all around. I don't see the upside of it. I mean, you know, a couple of ticket sales, I don't think they have any problems selling tickets, you know, but anyway, I, it's, it's good that we disagree on this for once. We finally disagree. This is good guys. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just put a bow on this and, and uh, I, I think you guys both make some really good points. I, I just think in this day and age, you know, when you look at the transfer portal, when you look at nobody having to sit out a year, when they transfer, everything is about immediacy. And right. I, I, and I do believe that winning a conference tournament championship, that's a, ter- that's a tr- trophy you get to put in your, in your case, whether you went to, everybody wants to get the NCAA tournament. We understand that. I just think it's additional basketball. I think it's an additional advantage for finishing with the top two seed by playing a team that had to play a game the night before. Um, and I think it also, allows St. Thomas to play for something, yeah, even during this transition. And I, I, I think both of you guys agree the fact that the five-year window is probably a little bit too long, especially as we're trending towards immediacy and everything else. Maybe they should shorten that. And I think these are things that maybe will allow the NCAA, even though I don't trust them as far as I can throw them, <laughs> to make some good decisions You know, about, hey, listen, let, let, if somebody believes they're a Division One program, they're going to fund it, they're going to give their kids an opportunity. Well, then let's give them an opportunity to play, you know, in, in the the biggest trophy of all, which is the NCAA tournament. And so I think, you know, I, I guess I, I just I'll I'll just give the the, the Summit League credit and say I, I I do think it is a good thing. And and I get it. Let's say two years from now, St. Thomas is playing in the championship game, and 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 it's something that everybody wants to complain about well you know what you know what you know what all you had to do to not allow them to get there you had to beat them right and and so that's where i'm at it's an extra day of college basketball tournaments i love conference tournaments that allow everybody in because that's exactly the the essence of what march madness is all about is that everybody has a chance everybody has a chance even if they're not you know eligible they have a chance to win a conference tournament and that's that's something they can put in their trophy case and and it allows them to, I think it helps those teams in transition and recruiting as well. Listen, there is something you can play for. It's not just, you know, the regular season. There is a postseason option, even though it might not, might not go farther than the conference tournament. So, Zach, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on your points as to the, the chaos that it might create. But I also believe, uh, I guess I just believe the positives outweigh the negatives. But that's my own personal opinion. Just such a highly unique situation because you're 100% right. Like no program is going to be able to, no one program is going to be able to complain about this, right? Because the easy answer is just win the games and you have nothing to worry about, right? Um, maybe this, like, like I said, maybe this is just the conference stepping in and saying that five-year rule, it's bogus. It's not applicable to the situation. And we're going to try to mitigate it the best we possibly can. If that's the case, then I understand it. And then we're left with the NCAA 
making a misguided decision, which that's every day, basically. So that's what they do. Yep. <laughs> and and I, I want to bring up one more point. First, Greg, you talked about the NCAA maybe looking at this and saying they're, you know, five years is too long. We, if we know nothing about the NCAA, they're one of the most proactive organizations I've ever known. So I'm sure in 35 years they'll look at that and uh, figure <laughs> yes. out something. You're, you're, exactly. you're, yeah, they'll pass down the ruling in year 2030. You know right. what? That five years was too much. Too much. Right. Go tell all those kids that graduated it was too much. Sorry. Right. And my my only second point is, you know, it's not only is, Greg, do I agree with you that everyone, it's the one thing that's unique about college basketball, everyone gets a shot. And I know St. Thomas doesn't technically have a shot, so there's a, but there's still a little bit of that in this decision. The other part that may play in from a conference standpoint is it sort of gives your conference champion, regular season champion, a chance at new life. And if we just use this year as an example, and I don't haven't looked at the bracketology or any of that, but you could see South Dakota state as high as a 12 seed. The team that beats them, if that happened in the tournament could be a 15 could be playing. There, there was that year with North Dakota state as the four seed in the tur- uh, summit tournament that had to play in the play in game. So mm-hmm. like there is you know, yes, Oral Roberts went on a run to the Sweet 16 from the 15 seed, but as a conference, you'd rather your 12 seed make it than your 15. And so there, there's a little bit of an advantage to kind of having a, another team in the regular season champions corner, so to speak. All right. Well, let's move on to the games that we have coming up. Or that we, sorry, let's start with a recap of this week. We had... Uh, North Dakota State going to Brookings and playing South Dakota State in, you know, a, a shocker went down to the wire. Um, a narrow win for South Dakota State. They remain undefeated in conference. And North Dakota State, a cu- two and a half games, I think, behind Oral Roberts in, in third. So uh, a big win for the Jackrabbits and a, and a tough loss for the Bison as they try to claw into that second seed. What are your guys' takeaway from that, what we would probably consider the game of the week in the Summit this week? Well, I guess I'll, I'll just jump in. I, I thought it was a, a fantastic college basketball game. And um, I know SDSU didn't shoot great from the three-point line, but I, I will say that I think NDSU and their length and their defensive intensity had a certain impact on that. And, and to me, that, makes, that might make South Dakota State's win even more impressive. Yeah. They found a way to do it. Um, I, I had to laugh. I was thinking to myself today, which sadly, I mean, it won't surprise anybody. I talk to myself a lot. I thought Baylor Shireman had a quiet 23, if that's possible. Right. Uh, You know what I mean? A quiet 23. He was one of four from behind the arc, but did what he needed to do. His, you know, his stat line, 23 and eight and, um, uh, found a way to get it done. And cause I think NDSU mucked it up for him pretty well. I, even though it was 80 to 76, seems like a relatively high-scoring game. It, points weren't necessarily easy to come by. They, I thought both teams had to make some impressive plays, you know, just to score at times. Uh, I still think Luke Apple, as a guy coming off the bench, is 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 still a guy to be considered for all league honors. His improvement level is 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 blown me away, and their mate and their uh, excuse me their depth is what allows them their, their depth is almost as good as NDSU's NDSU is not far away 
from uh, having Andrew Morgan back, which would give them a full complement of players. Um, and, and they're getting closer and closer. I think they're getting better and better. And as, as impressive as you know the, the game was between SDSU and NDSU, I thought NDSU finding a way to win in Vermilion against a USD team that's playing with sky-high confidence level was a quality win. And, and believe me, it, it was milliseconds away from being over and, and, and won by S by USD with the Comateros three and uh, to NDSU's credit, they found a way to get the win. So I thought it was, I thought it was a heck of a heck of a performance by NDSU and maybe even more impressively, a, a heck of a performance by SDSU because they had to win without doing it from behind the three point arc. They were one of 12 from behind the arc still found a way to win. And, uh, those were two teams playing at a high level. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I, I just really appreciated NDSU's game plan. You know, I know that sometimes we've, you know, but more on the fact that they just kind of do what they do in, you know, game in, game out, offense, defense, they just kind of roll it out there and just try to be the best version of themselves. And they don't necessarily get too game plan specific. Um, but I thought they had a fantastic game plan and they executed it well. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like you said, Greg, they held South Dakota State to one for 12 from three. That's incredible. I mean, where they're averaging. It really is. I mean, yeah. it's the the ability to execute that was just unbelievable. And then on top of that, Douglas Wilson, who really gave them a lot of problems in the first game and in the first half of this one, wasn't able to finish the game. What the, when did he exit the game with about eight to ten minutes left somewhere in there? Yeah, it might have been a little less than that, but I think you're right, Zach. So, yeah, so so no Douglas Wilson, one for twelve for three. Uh, South Dakota State shot forty three percent from the field, which I didn't think was possible. As that's fourteen percent less than their average in conference. Right. And 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 NDSU turned it into like a one on one game, which I think NDSU wanted to. I mean, South Dakota State wants to play more of a team oriented offensive game, and NDSU got them away from that. So. NDSU really had them playing in a way that South Dakota State has not played yet this year, but South Dakota State still won. Yeah. And and I, I just wonder, and Greg, th- this is a really good question for you. As a coach, when you execute a game plan that well, but you still don't beat a team that you've always had problems beat, at what point, you know, and you're never going to come out and say it, but at one point in the back of your mind, like, man, what does it take? I don't know if we have it. I felt like we've given them our best punch. Does that kind well, of play in your confidence again the next time you play them? Or like what? Or, no, or I, you're, like, you're like, hey, we're right there, so it's just one or two bounces the other way, you know? I think it's a fair question. And, and to your point, you know, as a coach, you say, listen, there's nobody that, that will concede anything to. And so as, as, as to, to SDSU's credit, the way they found a way to win that game at home, and I, and I mean that, they deserve a ton of credit. I still think if you're Dave Richmond, you came away with a split at USC and SDSU. And to your point, I think as, uh, NDSU executed their game plan exceptionally well. And yeah, the, the, you can probably go back and in film say, here are the six plays that made the difference in this game. Mm-hmm. And if it was an effort thing or if it was an execution thing, you can say, that's all we have to correct. We have to fix six things here. Or, you know, or if it's three things over the course of six plays. I, I think it, it bodes well for both teams, to be honest with you. I, as, as crazy as that sounds, from a coaching perspective, you always have to look for the light at the end of the tunnel. You always have to say, listen, this is why we were this close. 
and this is why we lost. And at the same time, this game is going to help SDSU. They're going to gain confidence and say, listen, we do not have to shoot 45% from three-point to, to beat quality teams. And um, so, you know, to your, to your point, Zach, I, I do think Dave Richmond, as frustrated as he, as he probably is with the loss at SDSU, he also says, we're right there. And uh, we get one more healthy body back. We get the depth that we need. Uh, we're going to be okay. Even if we finish with the three seed, we can handle playing three straight days because we've got the depth to do it. And you can also sell the fact that, listen, we're going to win games when it matters. We've won games in the Summit League tournament. That's our approach. And we still have a month to improve on things. We still have a month to improve on eliminating little mistakes here and there. And I would have to believe if you ask Dave Richmond right now, as frustrated, frustrated as he might be with losing in Brookings against a great team, he still believes his team is trending in the right direction. And uh, let me uh, let me join you as the co-pilot of the Baylor Shireman Express. You know, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you, you talked about okay, so he had a, he had a quiet twenty-three points, and that's true. Pretty efficient, seven for seventeen, one for four from three, nothing crazy, eight for nine from the free throw line. They were twenty-one to twenty-three from the free throw line, by the way. That's really what yes. won the game. Yeah. Um, but I think about the defensive effort that he did on Sam Greasel. Yeah. Uh, really just kind of cut the legs out from underneath this NDSU offense because they, you know, that NDSU offense, they were so focused on getting the ball to, to Cruiser and rightfully so, because he was having success and he was getting South Dakota state in foul trouble. But I mean, and, and I, you know, so Sam Griesel had eight points and I'm pretty sure one of those or three of those were on that, that three, like right at the end of the game. So basically five points. I mean, the defensive job that he did on him, I, honestly, last year, that's why I said he was my defensive player of the year last year. And if he doesn't mm-hmm. get the conference player of the year, I think he should be the defensive player of the year. I think you can make a case either way. Um, you know, he may not always show up in the flashiest blocks and steals and stuff like that. But to, ha- to, to win a matchup that decidedly, I mean, Baylor Shireman, 23 points, eight rebounds, you know, just ha- you know, playing the entire game. Versus Sam Griesel, essentially five points, you know, five. I mean, that was the biggest decider. That was the biggest discrepancy out of any of these matchups that they had. I mean, Douglas Wilson played well. Even Matt Detlinger went in there. And, and, and Apple, you know, for NDSU's advantage, South Dakota State was right there. But the, the game, to me, was won and lost in the backcourt matchup. And that's the one that South Dakota State won decidedly, even without knocking down any threes. So... I just I thought that was a really interesting matchup, and again, not something that you necessarily see by looking at the box score, but you just watch the game and how it's played. It's you know, gosh, I really thought NDSU got the game played under their terms. You know, game in mm-hmm. the '70s, and um, still we're not able to get it done. So I don't know. So my question to you guys is this: Who stands a better chance of beating South Dakota State in the tournament? Oral Roberts. Or NDSU? Todd, I'll let you take that first. Oh, you know, they both, they're the only two teams that have really played them tough in conference. North Dakota State twice, Oral Roberts once. Oh, that's a really hard question. Uh, I, I think it's still North Dakota State, but they may have given them their best punch and still lost. And the reason you want to go towards Oral Roberts is because any team with Max Aismas can beat anybody. And they're they're ever since the tournament last year, they're playing better defense. 
but I think it's still North Dakota State just well, I was just going to say because of their Summit League tournament success, but we're also talking about the team that won it last year. Uh, is, I don't know, a good answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a tough answer, and there's a lot of ways to look at it. That's why I asked it. So, Greg, what do you think? Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, Zach. And, and, and I, I sit here because I'm a boring coach, and, and I, I, I just believe that when it comes to tournament basketball, the tempo gets slowed. Um, you know, that the margin for error becomes, it, it weighs more on individual players at times. Uh, even though I think Eric Henderson is as good a coach offensively in this league as, as there is and, and allows his guys to play loose and free, there's something about the conference tournament that says, I can't take that chance that I might take in a regular season game seven weeks into the season. Um, and so as far as the best chance to beat him, I guess I still look at NDSU's ability to defend in the half court and their length and their, their ability to switch a lot of the screen action. Um, if they can add uh, Andrew Morgan back into the lineup, they don't have to worry as much about foul trouble with a Rocky cruiser, even though he's still a, you know, playing at a first team all level, all, all league level. I, I guess I just give it to them because they've, they've proven it year in, year out, that, that when it comes down to it, they kind of have the philosophy and and the ability to defend really well in the half court and do what it takes. But believe me, when I, if, when I give that edge to an NDSU, it's not by much because I still believe, we talked about this, this off air before we started the podcast, that ORU is defending at a, at a better level than they probably have at any time in the last three or four years. And that's what allows you to, you know, to, to have the best chance of, of success in the conference tournament. So I'm going to go with NDSU, but it's by the slightest of margins. The most interesting stat that I came across, guess who's number one in field goal percentage? Not necessarily field goal points per game, but field goal percentage in conference play. Oral Roberts. Uh, on defense? Yep, on defense. I was not uh. expecting that. I was that's, not expecting that. That's I, w- I wouldn't either. I would not either, to be honest with you. And, and yeah. And I mean, you know, so we are halfway through the conference, so it stats should start to mean something, you know, um, pretty close. They they play ten games. They're holding teams on average of forty one percent. And kind of looking back to their game uh, with South Dakota State earlier this year. Now, Max Aceman's only 19 points, uh, but Kareem Thompson had a, had a good 19 as well. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, and part of the reason why I asked this is because obviously there's two very different approaches to playing South Dakota State here, you know, guard-oriented or, or post-oriented. Um, and so I don't know. I, I'm almost leaning back towards Oral Roberts uh, just because like you can't play well and beat South Dakota state. You have to, you know, pretty much be special. Right. And NDSU is very good at playing very well, but we have not seen them have, have like special games very often. And we obviously know Oral Roberts can't. And so it's, I'm leaning towards, it's probably going to take something special to beat them. And so that's why I think there's a greater chance of Oral Roberts doing that. Um, Obviously, I think it, I, I do think there's a big difference between playing them in the in the semifinals and the finals because I do think if 
South Dakota State has one weakness. It, it, you know, maybe that playing seven guys gets them. You know, maybe that, maybe that's an issue. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm well, just obviously we're, we're nitpicking here. So. And right now, that's a point in favor of our Oral Roberts. Mm-hmm. It, it's gonna, t- it will take. I mean, they're two and a half games behind North Dakota State. It's gonna take something to catch Oral Roberts for the second seed. And yeah. so any team that gets to wait two games before they play South Dakota State probably stands a little better chance. Mm-hmm. But I do like that we answered with a North Dakota State, a Oral Roberts, and an I don't know. That's <laughs> I a think ball that's about right. Yeah. Guys, I, I love how much we're right. disagreeing. We're finally starting to disagree. This is good. That's right. Yeah. We need to stir the pot a little bit. Well, well and since we talk NFL playoffs, the Rams are on their way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, to play the Bengals and I, I, I will go real briefly, but I'm one of my least favorite things is the credit and, and blame that quarterbacks get. And Matt Stafford threw what essentially was a punt that got dropped by the 49ers that probably changes the entire game. And yet he'll be celebrated because that got dropped. But anyways, and Cooper cup should be the MVP. Oh That's man. He's unreal. The, I don't know. The he, guy's ridiculous. He's amazing. He should be the MVP. I doubt he'll get it, though. The one thing we can agree on, if Kirk Cousins would have thrown that pass, it would have been kicked off 100%. 100%. And half of Vikings Nation would be celebrating yes. it. We'd all have our pitchforks and torches, yeah. Right. So for the second half of the podcast, I think what would be a nice thing to do is to just kind of go with as many teams as we can and – it, when we hit North Dakota State and South Dakota State, maybe we'll we'll kind of go briefly because we've talked a lot about them this week. But just what are each team's goals for the remainder of the year? Like, what are they looking for? Is it to get the number one seed and or get to the NCAA tournament? Is it to get to the second half? Is it you know find their defense? What 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 would each team's goal be? Uh, going going forward, and since we already hit on North North Dakota State a lot, I'll just quickly hit on them, and I would say getting that two seed would be their biggest goal going forward. Do you guys have any goals for teams of the Summit League going forward? I'll yeah, just no, jump I, in. yeah, go ahead, Greg. I'll, I'll just jump in quick, Zach. You know, and, and just tag on to North Dakota State, and and the reason I do is because I probably see more of their games than anybody else, but you know, if you're Dave Richmond right now, you're saying, screw the standings. All I want you guys to do is keep getting better. All I want you guys to do is understand, here's here are the good things we did that allowed us to win one on the road and almost win the second one against the, the, the league leader. Uh, we're making progress. We're getting better. And it's hard to argue that Dave Richmond has found a way to get his team playing best at the end of February right into March. And um, and I think that's that's their goal. And I mean that. That's boring. Because they're not talking about a seed. They're not talking about anything. They're saying, let's play our best basketball. Because if you don't get one or two, after that, all that really matters is what color of uniform you're wearing in the first round of the conference tournament. And you got to play whoever's there. So that, that's my thought on North Dakota State quickly. Yeah, my, yeah, I, I, I would echo that. You know, I, But except for I, I do think that number two seed is very important. Partly because if they do what Greg's talking about, they're going to be the second seed. You know, um, they've played a little bit of lopsided schedule. They're definitely going to have more home games in road on the way on the on the home stretch here. Um, but they got to watch out. They're tied with South Dakota right now. 
Kansas City is one game behind them. Western Illinois and Denver are basically two games behind them. So, I mean, if, if for some reason they go on a little cold streak, which actually I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to run into shape actually pretty nicely. You know, they could easily slip down to the fourth or fifth spot. Um, so that's why it's so important to keep their foot on the gas. I think a lot of this is just getting healthy and hitting their stride and playing enough games together all as the same team with the same rotation and just getting in that rhythm before the tournament. Um, but I, I do really think getting that second seed is important for them and Oral Roberts. So you could say the same thing for about both those teams. You know, I don't know. Do you guys have a different one for Oral Roberts other than that second seed? Not, not really. I, I one little comment on on getting the second seed. I would just want anything to do with whether it be North Dakota State or Oral Roberts. I want nothing to do with having to play both North Dakota State and South Dakota State to get to the NCAA tournament. So yeah. getting in those top two avoids at least one of those teams, mm-hmm. um, at least till the final. Yeah. The for Oral Roberts, I think it's to just keep defending the way they are. Yeah. 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 They lost North Dakota state at home and yes, they lost in Brookings to South Dakota state. Both were close games. North Dakota, the North Dakota state one right down to the wire and the South Dakota state one was tied with a minute and a half or something left. It got a little bit away at the end, but it was right down to the wire. So it's really just keep defending. And Zach, you might be right that it's just going to be second um, score by committee, and it just kind of depends on how they're being played. Mm-hmm. I would like to see Isaac McBride and Max Asmus both out there at the same time just to see what happens. But, uh, yeah, that, that would be my goal for them. It feels like they have a couple of these lineups up their sleeve, right? It feels like we could see, like, an Asmus-McBride-Phipps lineup as yeah. sort of like a nuclear option for them in the tournament or something like that, you know, but I do love the fact that they're getting Lufile more, pl- more playing time. He's yeah. gonna like, if they're going to beat South Dakota state and North Dakota state, he is going to be an important player. And so I like the fact that they're playing him more and more, you know, I'll, I'll just jump in quick. You know, I, I hope Douglas Wilson comes back. I hope, I hope the injury he sustained at the end of the North Dakota state game isn't, isn't long lasting. And and I and I mean that I mean and and the, the crazy thing to say about all that is if they had to lose a player for let's say next weekend the reason they can absorb a Douglas Wilson loss is because they have they have Apple and Dentlinger you know, yeah. that that, that yeah. can fill in and, but I hope not I mean the league needs him the league needs a Grant Nelson the league needs certain players whether it's Rocky Cruiser um, Shireman. I just think the league tournament needs those guys in the league, but I'm going to echo both of your sentiments. Um, I, and I'll just, I'll maybe take it a little step further right now, unless something unforeseen happens, SDSU is going to be the one yeah. and, and S and, and ORU and NDSU are, are, are very well positioned to be the two and the three, but to have to drop to the four and be on the SDSU side of the bracket is certainly not appealing to, to either one of those teams. And NDSU right now is the more vulnerable one, but I do believe they're on the right tra- trajectory. So um, I'm going to agree with you. I think ORU, if they continue to focus defensively on what they're able to do, because they they do have a group that when they are functioning together has proven, and Zach talked about it, they're leading the league in defensive field goal percentage. And I think that's a huge statistic. So um, I'll echo both of your sentiments. I, I think that's what, one, the, that's what ORU needs to do. 
NDSU needs to keep improving. And then to, to tag on to that, I do think NDSU has a somewhat favorable home schedule, which then means UND also has a favorable home schedule. And I know I'm jumping to the bottom of the league, guys, but let's be honest. UND right now is on the outside looking in. Yeah. But when I look at their schedule, I'm looking at the teams that they have coming up to Grand Forks. I know they have to go to St. Thomas. But the one thing I noticed about St. Thomas, as, as well as they are coached, as well as they can change things up defensively, as well as they shoot the ball, they can be overwhelmed at times just physically. Yeah. Um, because they're not a they're not a big physical team. And so, you know, if there's a p- potential for a road game win at St. At St. Thomas, maybe UND can do that. But I think they have a somewhat favorable home schedule against a lot of teams that are not in the top of the league. So that's what they need to do. They need to go on a run right now because Zach, you talked about it offline today with both Todd and I, Omaha got a win. You know, does that, does that put UND on the outside looking in? Well, it does, unless they can all of a sudden find a way to go on a run at home. Yeah. For UND, I mean, you got it right. That third win by Omaha was really uh, put UND in a tough spot. Um, but, you know, to you guys' point, um, so UND has, it looks like, seven home games and two road games coming down the stretch here. And so they have uh, Denver and Omaha this weekend. Obviously, they have South Dakota State tomorrow. But Denver and Omaha this weekend, uh, they play St. Thomas twice, uh, once at home and once on the road. And then uh, at Western Illinois, uh, play Kansas City. Um, so, I mean, you know, they, it, it's possible for them to get to four wins, um, really starts this weekend. If they're able to get Denver and Omaha or, you know, at a bare minimum Omaha, then they're still kind of alive to make the tournament. Um, but if they lose to Omaha, it's, it's pretty much all but done. So, yeah. Yeah. um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, th- th- there's no doubt about, it. I mean, for UND, it's all about making the tournament. And then you would say the same thing about. Omaha as well. I think Denver at four wins is probably clear. You know, I think they've done enough at this point. Um, but you know, they've, they've also lost two in a row here. So, um, we'll see. I mean, it's, there's still a lot to be decided. You know, as soon as Omaha won that third game, I was like, man, yeah, UND is that, that could be the last nail in their coffin. But, you know, as I looked at it, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not impossible. They, they play much better at home, obviously, like every team. And, and um, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely possible. Weirder things certainly have happened. Um, so any other thing on UND? Well, I would just say that they're hitting a three-game stretch where they almost have to win two, and one of them has to be Omaha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You've got yep. Denver, Omaha, and then St. Thomas on the road. And this is not to discredit what St. Thomas has been able to do, but they just look like a Division III team that played seven games last year. The Mm -hmm. shooting, the the legs are gone, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I don't even know that I blame that. That's not even a blaming statement. You just have to find a way to win two of those three games. Yeah, I'll agree with you because when I watch St. Thomas, to their credit, and I will continue to echo this, they've got the right coaching staff in place and they obviously they're obviously moving in the right direction recruiting wise, but the group they have as smart as they are, as well as they can shoot the ball. I watched an NDSU team that just physically overwhelmed them, uh, especially, you know, for the last 25 to 30 minutes of the game. 
and that's not that's not a that's not a knock on St. Thomas, but yeah. they you know it, it's just they're they're going to go through some doldrums potentially, and if they don't, credit to them. I still love watching them play. I still love how they play the game, and uh, but but they're also a team that. You know, with UND has has a shot at them twice because one because of a postponement, I think, and so we'll see what happens. And I guess that that was kind of my thought, just kind of tailing off. We talked about NDSU. UND has a very similar home schedule to NDSU, obviously, because of their travel partners. It's favorable for them if they're going to have a chance. Boy, they better capitalize at home. Yeah, you know, with with uh, St. Thomas to touch on them, you know, it's almost like they're not catching people by surprise anymore. And I think they were really catching people by surprise for a number of different reasons there. I mean, they're obviously, or they were also playing well, um, but just the, their styles a little bit different. And, yeah. um, and, and they, and so nobody's caught them by surprise. Pretty much everybody's seen them or play them now, obviously, except for UND. Um, and, and I, I think you guys are right about just the, the level of physicality. I mean, they're learning a lot about what it takes to go through this season. The fact that it's, it's truly a marathon, um, but, but no question what they've done this year has been just, it's been really unbelievable. And, you know, so my challenge to them, man, if they go out and get an, another game down the stretch here, yeah, while everybody has played them, they're not catching anybody off guard, you know, all that, all that stuff. And they go out and get one more game, you know, obviously they want to get them all, but I think they're going to feel pretty good about things going into the off season. I mean, that, that's a, a tremendously successful first year for them. Couldn't agree more. Real quick on Omaha, and maybe we don't need, I mean, we know what the goal is, is to make the Summit League tournament. I can't remember a team that can play so incredibly different from night to night. I've just never seen such, you know, to get blown out by 30-something to Denver, and then they play Kansas City that just can beat you up. And they found a way, and and you look, and it's just at home they're actually okay, four and eight, winless on the road this season, which of course includes Summit League play. It, it just an interesting team that, it, you know, as as we look at it now, it looks like they're gonna be make it into the tournament. It looks like they're gonna gonna make it, but every time I completely write them off and say I don't even know why they have any chance to to do anything, then they'll go out and win a game. And look pretty good doing it. It's they're an interesting team. I but can't put my finger on. Yeah, I mean to me, it's it's about consistency. It's the same thing with UND. You know, I mean both of these teams. You know, like we've talked about several times on this podcast, their seasons are really parallel because they had the same thing happen this off season, which is major contributors exiting the program right. uh, for various reasons. And so you're left with players who the plan was never to have them play these roles. You know, right. whether it's it's Frankie Fiddler or whoever, you know, some of these guys at, at Omaha and, you know, for for UND, it's a little bit more puzzling because it's, you know, Ethan Bonigo, Ben Tupanoam and Caleb Nero. UND can't get two of those three to play well at once. It's usually one and then a pretty decent game for Paul Bruns. If UND can get two of those three guys to play well, they're probably going to be all right. And there's been periods of time in all these games where both Omaha and UND have played very well. I mean, they've, they've had, you know, both those teams usually struggle in the first half and then have big comebacks in the second half. And so, you know, it's just about how can you get that consistency some way, somehow with those players, who can you count on? 
I mean, because right. if you can't count on them, it's like, you know, all right, this is big boy athletics here. I mean, difficult decisions are going to be have to be made in the offseason. Um, but, you know, I think we probably spent enough time on them, you know. But it's going to be just really interesting. This is part of the fun that goes away next year, guys, with with St. Thomas in the tournament. We don't get to have this discussion, and there's less <laughs> intrigue. So, anyway, um, Western I, I... Illinois. Let's 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 pick on Western Illinois here a little bit. They are a very very interesting team right now. What do you guys? What should their goal be coming on the stretch here? I you know I haven't looked at the numbers, but to me it's defend, especially the backcourt. Like we they are offensively talented and can put together some pretty impressive offensive games. Maybe not even defend isn't the right. Uh, word, but I, they didn't have the same losses that UND or Omaha had. Be consistent. Maybe that's that's what I'm looking for. Not defend in itself, but just where's the consistency? Be you know same team well, that beat I don't, North Dakota State by 11. You know gets yeah. just doesn't even show up for South Dakota State. You know what I mean? But I, I do think I mean to build on your point, consistency. The number one component of consistency, and I'm guessing Greg can guess what it is, it's having good defensive effort every single game. Like, that's what leads to good consistency. And as you would expect, you know, defensive points per game and defensive field goal percentage, they're third to last in both of those. Yeah. And so you hate to have all that offensive talent be undone by just not a, a ton of urgency on the defensive end. I don't think that they're terrible defensively by any means. I think they're very physically capable. I think having Tramel Pearson in there consistently is a big is a big part of that. But you put their offense up against anybody, I would. Like, I'd put yeah. their offense up against – I mean, they are very, very good offensively. And that's with Will Carius, you know, having, you know, maybe a down year statistically, but that has nothing to do with how good of a player is. He could have a monster tournament. That would not surprise me at all. So if there's going to be an undoing, it's their level of defensive effort and, and, and urgency. They have that. All of a sudden, it's almost kind of like an Oral Roberts situation last year where they kind of round into shape. And I don't think anybody really wants to play them because they are that explosive on offense. I agreed. I wouldn't want to play them. Yeah. Well, they're very scary. And and I, I would love to see them develop a consistent eighth player. I mean, they've had a solid seven-man rotation. Um. And I'll I'll agree with you. I mean, you have to be able to defend consistently. You have to be able to find a way to get stops. And uh, if you want to be considered a, a championship contender, and and that's probably the, the area to echo both of your points uh, where they've struggled the most. Uh, completely agree. I mean, they've got the size, the length, the scoring ability, and uh, even though seven players is is you'd probably love to have eight, but they don't have they're not counting on just five guys. They, they've got a group that they can uh, uh, lean on. And I, I do think they have to find a way to say, listen, we have to take some more pride in our ability to stop people. And, uh, and then if they can get to that point in a month, if they can focus that over the course of the next four weekends of, of conference play and say, you know what, we feel good about how we're defending heading into the conference tournament. They're not a team that I would like to see. I don't care who you are, SDSU, ORU, NDSU, anybody else. If they can really say, you know what, we've rallied to a point where we believe we're defending very well consistently and, and keeping people under control, we think we can outscore some people, 
as long as we play sound defensively, they're going to be a scary team. And, and, and I've talked about this with many people. This is, even though Western Illinois knocked off SDSU a couple of times in the conference tournament, this is a better Western Illinois team that ever won those games. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So then that, that kind of leaves us with the team with the goofiest box scores I've ever seen, and that's Kansas City. Um, so so they lose at Omaha, and <clears throat> they've had games where their opponents has made 20 more free throws than they've shot. Just unbelievable how they overcome something like that. And then I look at that, I pulled the box score, and Omaha only made four free throws. So... So then, then they lose the game where they made six more than, than, than Omaha shot. So, you know, Kansas City won that battle. So I, I, I can't figure it out. Um, you know, obviously a, a big deal is, you know, if you bottle up Gilliard a little bit, make somebody else beat you, can they do it? What's right. their goal for this the second half of these, this year, guys? I, I would say they're oddly – I had mentioned Oral Roberts, a, a second scorer, as one of their. If they could get anybody to be consistent, you know, they go and win at at Denver, which you know Denver's lower half of the league, but still uh, a road win. And Anderson Cop is making some big shots. Marvin Nesbitt, Arkel Lamar, but they need those other guys. And Gilliard had 23 also. So, it, but there's going to be games where he doesn't go off. It, they just need someone to step up consistently yeah. in that second role. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 a unique team. Um, I would hate to see them in the summer league tournament. Uh, honestly, if I'm a coach, I'm going, oh good lord, we have to play them. Yeah. But at the same time, <coughs> excuse me. I don't have the confidence they can put back-to-back games together. They seem to be one of the more inconsistent teams in the league. Yes, we know how they'll defend. They're going to mug you to death. They're going to force. They're going to put the, the officials in a position to say, yep, you know what, I'm going to foul them here, but they're, you're not going to call that foul again next time down the floor because the officials after a while are going to go, good Lord, I'm getting tired of blowing my whistle. <laughs> but yeah. – I, I just I don't see the consistency in them. They're scary because they can beat anybody on any given night just because of the manner in which they play. But my, you know, if if, if you're going to wish something for Kansas City, it's what can we hang our hat in, hat hat on, night in night out. Besides the defensive effort, you don't, you don't know whether you're going to whether you're going to put your line on your opponent on the line four times, you know, like you said, Zach, yeah. or 44 times. Yeah. Seriously, that's the range. And, and you'd like to be able to have uh, something you can lean on to say, no, we've learned that, you know what, we know how we're getting better at not fouling and still defending aggressively. That's my biggest thing for them is can they develop any level of consistency? Because if they do, they've, they've got a group that's a unique group to defend. They don't have a ton of size, so they bring bring opposing bigs out on the perimeter um, and, and put them in a position where they have to defend the dribble, things along those lines. They can create matchup nightmares. The bottom line is they have to de- decide who they are and what they want to be in night out, night in, night out. Um, if they don't do that, 
they're going to be extremely dangerous for one game. I just don't think they are the type of team that can back it up, you know, the next night on a consistent basis. Yeah, no, it's funny. As you're talking there, Greg, I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, yeah, I don't want to play them in the Summit League either, Summit League tournament either in any one-game scenario. But you, I probably don't have a ton of confidence that they can win three games in a row. Right. So, like, any one game, they're about as dangerous as anybody. But over yeah. the course of three, I'd put a lot of other teams ahead of them. Yeah. So, and, and with that, obviously, we, we know it's the, it's the offensive consistency. Yeah, I mean, because defensively, you know, we get it. And I honestly really appreciate that they have an identity. I like I don't think there's I don't think there's any confusion on their team as to what they want to do on the defensive end. I mean, yeah, there may be some fluctuations in efficiency and ability to execute, but I don't think there's any questions there. But Mm -hmm. offensively, I mean, obviously adding Gilliard was huge this offseason. I mean, it was as important of an ad as, as anybody. But they're going to have to knock down shots, and they're going to have to continue to score on offense. And, you know, it always surprises me with Kansas City how they don't convert defense to offense a little bit better, you know, in terms of – because they'll force a lot of turnovers, but there's usually not a lot of live ball turnovers. Right. Um, so, so whether it's in transition or what have you, getting cons- if they get consistently in the 70s, now all of a sudden you have a pretty, pretty good formula there. Um, but it's what are you going to do – when somebody bottles up Gilliard and holds yeah. him to maybe 15 points or less, what do you like? You have to have an answer for that because you that's coming. Like that's too obvious to take away. So I don't know. To, to me, that's, that's what I'm looking for out of them. I mean, it's possible. I mean, they, they have that defensive angle locked up. So, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see. We haven't seen it yet, but that's what I'm looking for. With the addition of Gilliard, it would have been, fascinating to see what would have happened if Josiah Alec wouldn't have been lost. Yeah. Um, that would have yeah, been, a, we forget he's supposed to be a big part of this team and right. 15 points and 10 rebounds a game. So, which, which frankly we can say for just about every inconsistent team yeah. that they're missing something that, that was yeah. going to be. Um, it's usually personnel related. It's usually yeah. personnel related. Yeah. yeah. So one team we haven't talked about yet, South Dakota, Started looked like things were coming on. Now they've kind of flip flopped losses and wins. What, what's the goal for South Dakota for the rest of the year? Well, my my thought is, hey, they're still in great position to battle for the three or four. Yeah. And if you're South Dakota, you're saying, listen, we're we're good enough to get to the three because everybody wants to get on the opposite side of South Dakota State if, if that continues to play out. I I think that. To be honest with you, they, they've overperformed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I was They were one of the teams, and, and I'll be quite honest, and, and whether I'm wrong or not is, is for everybody else to decide. I, I said they have a definite ceiling. I do think their guard play has impressed me. With yeah. Darryl Hunt, Archambault, um, uh, Boogie, uh, Anderson. And then who knows what happens with these when, when Xavier Fuller is able to come back, if he is. Right. But even you go back to the previous three, I think those three guys have really impressed me. And, and Archambault, I never would have thought I would have said he's impressed me on the defensive end. He has. But I think their guard play has been good. And, and I've always said, you know, the only way you have a chance to, to win in the postseason um, outside of being able to defend in the half court is you better have really doggone good guard play. And I think, um, you know, their bigs, Comateros and, um, and the other guys, they're going to be as good as their guard play allows them to be. So 
I'll give them credit. They're exceeding expectations, in my opinion. And I do think they're in the conversation without without question for a three seed. And and they still have a ton to play for. So um, credit to them that I, I think they're playing very well. Hey, it took everything. It took overtime and everything that NDSU could throw at them for them to get a win, you know, down in Vermilion. And I thought NDSU played pretty doggone well in order to do that. So I, I think I think USD has a ton to play for right now. And just getting Xavier Fuller back. I, I haven't heard anything on him. Have you guys? The the last I heard Coach Lee on the Coyote report said it was getting close. Okay, is that, but it, stop, Todd. Todd. Yeah. Did I say Coyote again? You said it. Oh man. I I didn't even hear myself say it. Until you said stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh boy. I'm not gonna you hear that. Gotta have the Dakota yeah. residents hold you accountable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but back um, to that, your point about his knee or whatever uh, it is. That it, that it's getting close. Um, that yeah. it's not structural in in nature. Um, but that it's it's kind of a pain tolerance thing. So he's he's getting close. Yeah, I noticed he wasn't in a walking boot, wasn't in crutches, and he hasn't been for a while. And obviously, certain not, certainly not questioning whether he's injured or not. But uh, no, I mean to me, getting him back means everything. Um, and you know what? Obviously, you try to look for every uh, silver lining that you can in difficult situations. Obviously, you never want to see him get hurt, but it's made Mar- uh, Mason Archambault step up. And yeah. he's probably playing at a level he may not have gotten to otherwise. And now you bring him back, and that allows them to spread the floor just a little bit better and get that continuity back. Because, yeah, he was he was second team all conference preseason, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. I think he was. I, yeah, I, I so I mean. So. Yeah, so I mean, and just to you add him back, I, I I think that's the number one thing. Whatever it is, get him on the court, get a couple games under his belt, so he's back in game shape and back in the flow of things before the conference tournament. And all of a sudden, South Dakota's a pretty pretty tough out. They're a tough out, you know. Yeah, maybe I, not the ceiling of some of these teams, but they're a tough out if they got all their three guards going. I mean, because Comateros is playing at a, a very high level, I in my opinion. Um, and and Hunter Goodrick, he's a nice player too. I mean, yeah. so all of a sudden they they have their rotation that they should have coming into this year. Um, they really can't afford to be without him in the in the conference tournament. I think Boogie Anderson is a really good player, and um, you know whether you know Boogie's coming off the bench or whatnot, I think he can definitely still continue to be part of the rotation. But um, they needed a little bit more firepower in that backcourt, and, and they have it right there in Xavier Fuller. Well, I would almost on that same theme. For every Coyote game going forward, when the Coyotes are playing, that the Coyotes should – sorry. Um, had to get that in three times to fix my saying Coyote. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so, But at, when Xavier Fuller comes back, none of these guys are Stanley Amude. And yeah. it felt like earlier in the year he was kind of trying to fill that role. If they can all kind of play their role when he comes back, they're so much more dangerous. Yeah. And so, like, that's what I – like, you know you have talent in Mason Archambault and Cruz Perro Hunt and, and Xavier Fuller. Like, all yeah. three of those guys, that gets pretty tough to defend. When yeah. it gets running through one guy too much, it's not – none of those guys are going to be able to create the way Stanley could. So well, – the nice thing about Xavier is, like, it's not like you're running a ton of plays for him or necessarily play. I mean, he's always kind of been a little bit more of a complimentary player, and that's not, like, 
a knock against him at all or anything like that. That's just sort of the nature of their offense. Um, that also means that he's you're going to be able to plug him back in there much easier. So, yeah. I mean, he's not going to try to have to do, do too much. So, I don't know. I I I still I still like I still like South Dakota. I I, th- I think they're going to be a tough out. Um, just you know, if, if for no other reason that then they've consistently gotten better, and so it right. gives you a little bit more confidence to kind of project them a little bit. Some of these teams, it's just like, ah, yeah, I mean, they could be all over the place. Um, but I feel pretty good about the way that they've been making progress. Well, and I'll, go I'll ahead. Just, I'll just jump in, Todd. The last thing I'll say is. I agree with you. I mean, they, they've got Goodrick, they've got Comateros, then they've got Zizic that can come off the bench and provide them some minutes for those two bigs. And uh, they've also, they, they took the red shirt off Kucher. This kid can shoot it. I, I think they've become an, a more diverse offense. And and I'll go back to Boogie Anderson. You know, it, they won five in a row after Fuller got hurt and Boogie Anderson got put in the, in the, into the starting lineup. And it was against lower teams in the league, but he's also become a little bit of a poor man's Greasel or a poor man's Shireman. Now I'm not trying to put too much pressure on him, but he's that big, strong guard that can get downhill and finish in the paint, and and that and he understands and he embraces that as his role, and that also allows him, you know, when he gets into the paint, doesn't mean he has to shoot it all the time, but he can kick it out to guys who can shoot it, whether right. it's Perro Hunt, Archambault. Um, Comateros, whoever. So I think, go back to your point, Zach, sometimes an injury injury is a blessing in disguise because other guys display what they can bring to the floor. And USD has, even though I still think they have a ceiling, it's higher than I thought it was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and the, the one other point I wanted to make is we often talk about Coach Richmond in North Dakota State, once you hit conference play, becoming a different different team both last year and this year with South Dakota in the non-conference we were going ah we don't know what we got in them yeah they get to summit league play and coach Lee gets them going it it's really certain he's getting that to be a reputation I guess would be the way I would put it and if AJ Plitzaway doesn't get hurt last year who's to say Oral Roberts ever even plays in the NCAA tournament I mean they were really we forget how they were right there for the number one seed in the, in the tournament. Yeah. So. And conference player of the year. Right. I mean, he was right yeah. there. I mean, he was like on a streak of like 35 points per game for like two weeks, just on an absolute tear. So. Right. Yeah. There, there may be a team where we, we spent most of the year till right now talking about their, their ceiling wasn't as high. It's just maybe, I mean, I get if we were to go back five years with North Dakota State, we probably would have been saying the same thing and then shocked once it got closer to tournament time how well they were playing. So just wanted to bring that up. All right. Well, I think we made it through everybody. I mispronounced Coyote. And and so that seems like (laughs) a good way to uh, get to the end of the end of the show. Uh, we will uh, be back next week and uh, talk more Summit League basketball. So until then, see you guys later. Have a great week.